Howdy, and welcome back to the Digital Transformationists podcast. And on today's episode, we have the amazing Carrie Hoyt Pack with us to talk about stepping into the unknown, the impact of empathic listening, digital connection, and evolved leadership. Today's episode is brought to you by Workado. Carrie, welcome. It's so good to see you. Uh, it's a pleasure to introduce you also to, to G. Garrett Dutton. Hey, Carrie. Um, hey. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. We've really been looking forward to, to catching up and, and visiting and learning more about uh, your career and the things that you're doing in the world of leadership and, and, and more around, um, I guess, getting the right intersection of, of men and women's involvement and, and putting more women into in leadership roles. So really appreciative of, of, of the work that you're doing. And also just want to say, you know, that our hearts go out to, uh, you know, all of our friends out in the West Coast. Uh, these fires are um, something else. As an environmentalist, uh, I'm, you know, very concerned about it, obviously. And most of all, because of the impacts to, to folks like you and our friends out in the West Coast. Yeah, thank you. I wore my uh, Rainier shirt today from Mount Rainier in honor of, uh, yeah, we have um, an incredible part of the world right here. And it's pretty devastating to see what's mm. going on. Thank yeah. you. Now, how, how are y'all dealing with it? Um, we're keeping... all right. You know, I, uh, it's, it is really physically taxing. Um, it's so terrible for you to be in this air. So we're sort of shuttered. And, uh, but I, I have to say that uh, I'm reminded of, despite all that, how, how you know, lucky I am to be able to have shelter. And there's so many people that don't. Um, to be having these multiple onslaught of, you know, economic depression, um, clearly a huge tax to our health, um, mental wellness, and then on top of it, not even being able to breathe. Um, mm. So it's very grounding and, and leveling. Um, and I hope put some urgency in all of us. Uh, it's right here. It's real. And we have to make change, which is, you know, very much conducive to the work we're trying to do, too. Yeah. It's, but we're, you know, we're, we're here, we're doing it. We're, um, we're actually headed, uh, we're in the Northwest now where I'm from, uh, just up in Washington state and we're heading further North to a place called Lummi Island. Um, we do an annual um, retreat where we do focused intensive uh, development work and we're going today for three weeks. So um, it's a pretty good day to be with you. Oh, so cool. So cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So happy for you. So excited for you. I know those are big, uh, a great time to get together with your your, your co-workers, I guess, who are yes. your sisters, right? That's right. Yeah, there's three of us. Uh, it's a small uh, organization. I wanted to keep it that way, um, but I've, it's a mighty force. So uh, just a bit by um, luck and I would say probably um, subconscious design. I am now in business with my two sisters and there's three of us um, that are sort of make up our immediate family and we're tight uh, and we trust each other and we have really it's pretty amazing to see the complementary skills at work. And so having three of us is a little bit like having nine of us. I think it's really amazing. I'm very lucky. I feel so blessed. So I want to come back to, to family in a bit. I think Garrett's got a, a handful of questions around that as well, but let's go, let's come back to that. Let's kind of get back into the, perhaps some of your career. You spent a lot of time at, at Nike, uh, vice president, global uh, marketing. Uh, you've had a phenomenal career. Um, what was the, I guess, what was the driver to, to go out on your own? And I know that you, you have a, a year-long trip that you made. Did that, in, did that trip inspire the Leadership Collective, or was that part of the, the roadmap? Uh, it was, you know, 
I would like to say was by some really incredible vision that I had to make this shift. And, but it really was sort of a moment in time where I had a few hard things happen to me in the year of 2017. I lost my dad. Um, I lost, uh, my brother-in-law who in a really tragic way. And it, Mm -hmm. it really woke me up in addition to some, some challenges, um, that I was seeing in the work world. And, and I just thought, this is a time to make change. And so I did, I jumped and uh, this was now two and a half years ago to start my own thing. And um, it was the vision to drive change that followed then this uh, instinct I had to actually, to inform that, to get out and talk to people. And so I did, we traveled the world for a year, year and a half, just uh, actually um, having this conversation around, you know, what is aspirational leadership in yourself and people you work with, um, people you work for, what what do we want to see? Um, and that has been, um, so it, there was an intention around that that primary research, but then the primary research we did, um, as listening should, it changes, you know, you have to be open to change when you're listening, if you're truly authentically listening. And we did, and it has sh- resharpened, refocused the work that we're doing in the most amazing, beautiful way. Did the three of you travel together? Well, it's been a it's been a little bit of a stair step. So I went out on my own, um, left this you know multi decade career at Nike, um, to, to just with this drive and instinct to do something around this idea. At the time, it was was really focused on women and leadership, and how that's blossomed into really about more human centered approach to, to business for all. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started out on that, and then uh, turned to my sister, um, older sister, uh, my big sister, I'll say. Erica. And I, she was like, I think you need a little help. You know, just let me come help you organize this. It's tough to do it all on your own as, as you both know. And so she came along on that trip. Um, and it was Erica and I, um, sort of just holding it all. Um, and, and what a phenomenal experience that was. Um, and then really so lucky, um, a few months ago that Kelly, my identical twin sister, um, decided to jump in with us as well. And so it's Erica really represents a sort of organization. She's the operations um, director. She she represents sort of the business side. Kelly represents this incredible creative force. And then I'm sort of in the middle sort of presenting the story or, or doing a lot of the facilitation based on my own experience um, around leadership and business. So it's a really beautiful combination of skills and, and passions. And so Erica, for example, came in just with this desire to kind of help her sister. And then all of a sudden she <laughs> said, this is my work. This is where I need to be. And so it's been it's been delightful to see that um, just by me taking this jump and this risk, I'm able to now pull it together. Um, and, and offer something different and, and build something together with, with the people that are closest to me in my life. Um, and of course, I'm very lucky to have people that I trust to do this work with me. Um, but it's called the Liberty Collective um, for a reason. It's not just the three of us. It's the idea is that we connect people all over the world in this pursuit of something better um, around leadership. And that's that collective piece is really where the beating heart of, of our work is. So can you expand on that? What is the work? What are you out to do? Sure. So uh, we, you know, again, I, I, I started out with this idea of um, we need to do better on behalf of women in business. And, mm-hmm. and at that point as well, it was a real intersectional p- focus for me of not just a gender focus, but how do we actually just bring more diversity um, into leadership positions? Um, as I traveled and, and did a lot of this work of asking this question, of what makes a great leader and tell us stories about that, I 
really understood that it's not enough to just invest in individuals. And in this case, um, an intersectional view to more women. It's about how do we actually shift the norms of leadership for two reasons. One is if you don't change the terrain, the environment, and you invest in leaders, it's sort of a, a failing proposition ultimately, um, and not fair to anyone, um, and really not an efficient way to go forward. It requires seismic shift in our understanding of how people lead and how they should lead. And so as I got into understanding that shift that had to happen, what I realized is it's, you know, as I say, it's not a gender problem, it's a human problem. And by the way, the second big reason is, shouldn't this be for all of us, right? Um, men, women, however you identify in terms of gender, we all can benefit from this. Um, I have two daughters, but I've got nephews as well. Um, I've worked with many men as a, a mentor as well. And um, this was important um, for, for me to offer, you know, the world and it can't be done. Right. And I also, you know, feel that, you know, it's not right as well to put an additional burden on women to drive this change. It's right. we have to do it together. Right. right, right, right. Um, so that's where I've landed this uh, this um, purpose of shifting norms of leadership. And and in doing that, it's about inspiring and, and giving people um, a belief system that's different, a theory of change, but then also giving practical um, yet emotionally connected tools. Um, to be able to drive that change. So how we celebrate, how we model, how we practice um, leadership, that's a big part of driving change. So, so like, um, it's, it's, it was obviously a huge career change and a, and a risk for you to kind of, you know, leave um, this, this huge position at, at one of the largest corporations in the world. And I, mean, I want to speak about, I want to ask you about the risk factor, but I also was just while you were just talking, like, was that was part of the inspiration? What was was there ever like a, a knee jerk reaction to because, you know, so Nike, Nike is one of the largest corporations in the world. Was there a knee jerk reaction at all to, you know, did was there a huge catalyst? Was there specific things that you saw that you could speak on? Yeah, it's a great question, <laughs> Garrett. Yeah, I you know, I, I really didn't think I'd ever leave. Um, I was lucky to have 15 years at the company, 25 years working on this brand that, that, you know, I was so blessed to go around the world, meet incredible people to change people's lives through sport is, is such an honor. Um, and so I never, I thought I would finish my career there. I'm, I'm 52 right now. And I thought, Hey, I'll, you know, there's many more things I can do um, in that company and was, was in a, a great spot, had a lot of success, but what I, and I think it was a big part of it was that year I went through where I just, and then uh, to be frank, remember where we were two and a half years ago, right? Um, and wherever your ideology is of, of politics, for me, it was having two daughters and having to explain, you know, the, the person that was leading this country right, talk right. the way he did about women. And it was like, yeah. I can't, I have to help drive this change. Me too was erupting all over the world mm. in this country, in the corporate world. And uh, I felt that I was one of the people that helped launch Nike Women, and I had this honor to to travel and to connect with people to to do this work, um, and again, men and women in that work. And I felt that I could not live up to the integrity of what I was trying to do um, and say without actually getting rolling my sleeves up and doing it. And when you hold those those jobs, any job today, right, um, and balance everything that we all have to balance, it's really hard to um, to 
pay attention and, and nurture the thing that you're so focused on sometimes. And so it was this idea of giving up things to do something more and to do something bigger. And, and um, I have not looked back for one moment. It was um, certainly a risk, but it's probably been one of the best learnings in this is there's so much more capacity than you think. Um, and um, I've realized now how much we all have. Um, and we think it is that that idea I talk about of like going from scarcity to abundance. And it's really easy to slip into that in the, you know, in the golden handcuff world of corporate jobs of like, but what if, and what if I have to lose this or the financial security of being, you know, someone who, who is responsible for my family. And then when you make a change, you just realize that there's so much opportunity and it, you know, it's a privilege to, to be able to do that. Right. Not everybody can. Um, but I'm, I feel so lucky that I was able to, to make a change like this. Mm. Yeah. It's quite yeah, liberating, it's quite isn't liberating. it? It is. It is. And of course, you know, in the two and a half years since, the problem hasn't gotten smaller. It's gotten it's bigger. Um, bigger. And it's also, I think, more, it's, it was always there. It's just visible, right? right? It's sure. being called out. And it's now like, okay, we're at a crossroads here, right? Whether you're talking about climate, you're talking about social, political justice, racial justice. Um, and, and so, you know, maybe two years ago, I would have had to say this is intersectional work today. We know this, right? This is the work ahead of us. Um, but it's the how. And it's, are we going to get after this and do it? Or are we going to continue to just, you know, um, make small shifts? No, it has to be a gigantic um, change that, that if in our lifetimes, the three of us, we're going to see this. And it's not even enough to say in my daughter's lifetime, we have to do it together, right? So that's been um, both, I think, um, daunting in a way, because you see how much has to, to shift, but it's also so inspiring um, to, to feel the change underneath us. And I think it had to get a lot harder before it could get better. Um, and we're in, in a lot of hard right now. Um, so let's go for better. So the three of us are connecting um, over a wide span of, of land. Uh, Garrett's mm -hmm. out in Cape Cod. You're up in, the, in Seattle. I'm down in Colorado at the moment. Uh, part of what you shared with us around the, this year that you spent was there was a digital element to it. Uh, talk to us about just digital and connectivity and perhaps how you've lever leveraged, you know, digital tech uh, to help sure. you with your business and, and these connections that you're making. Yeah, it has been, uh, you know, <laughs> bookended in a way, because when, uh, you know, I've never digital and, and um, the world of um you know, connectivity in that realm has always been part of my work. It's not something that I'm, I'm super adept at myself, but I've been lucky to be surrounded by people that are, um, and it, it's made the work possible um, over my career in marketing, right? Um, and it's changed everything, really. Um, when I went out to do this work, was this really nice combination of analog and digital. So um, I didn't hire agencies to recruit and find people on the ground in 15 cities, 11 countries. I actually just um, did the modern day ver version of picking up the phone, right? I texted, I DM'd, I sent emails asking people like you, um, who do you know? Who do you know in Paris? Who do you know in Amsterdam or Tokyo that would want to have a conversation about changing leadership or where, what what great leadership is. And it was that that led to hundreds and hundreds of conversations. And it was just connecting in that way. And then, you know, through different tools, I was able to drop into a city with Erica um, and host these conversations um, of anywhere from six to 14 people. And oftentimes they didn't know each other and they would show up in some you know, conference room somewhere, some space. Uh, we've used all kinds of spaces to do this. And those were all just me asking, hey, do you have a place we could do this? Asking for help. 
Um, and, you know, going across town, which is no easy feat in places like <laughs> um, Sao Paulo or, you know, uh, Mexico City, London, to show up at four o'clock, you know, in a random weekday and have a conversation with someone you didn't know, with others that you didn't know, that's vulnerable to, to step into a room and do that. But without question, every single conversation I started to, I stopped guessing if it was going to be great. And, and, you know, there was a safe space created within um, maybe 10, 15 minutes. And then suddenly this eruption of passion and um, hope and actually um, determination to see better. Um, there was weariness and there was frustration, but I found so much like it just gives me goosebumps to think back to those conversations now. Um, it's really become the backbone of our work. And so it was, to answer your question, like it was <laughs> digital that allowed that to happen, right? Um, through tools, obviously, like G Suite and, you know, Eventbrite. And, but it was the human relationship that really right. made it work. Um, right. And since that time, it is called the Liberty Collective for a reason. That collective is what's fostered. I mean, there was a woman that just emailed me this morning from um, Sao Paulo in Brazil. She just happened to come to one of those listening sessions two years ago, actually, in October. And um, she then joined us a year later in Panama to, to be part of a leadership conversation herself. Um, she just sent me a note saying she has somebody that she's bringing up in her team in women's soccer in Brazil that she wants to send into our next session. And so, you know, we, we live through this all the time, call it networking, if you will. But in today's world, this human factor coupled with the po possibilities of digital, I think is, is that sweet spot. And it's been so um, fun to actually even for ourselves pivot to this world um, that, you know, I say when COVID came to town, like, what do you do? Our whole business model had to change. Um, and so now we're primarily Zoom based until the world opens again. And it is not a default. It's actually phenomenal. I, you know, I, I think I've sent you a note, like that idea of that, that physical can be the icing, but the cake can be led through this, this, this digital connection, because what it means is that we can scale what we're doing and I can have conversations with people all around the world right. um, and do it in this really personal, emotionally inspiring way. And so that's a gift, right? Uh, that probably I never would have landed on without this. Um, it's an expensive price to pay, right? With COVID, like I don't underestimate that, but to be here and pivoting with such rapid change um, is something that has turned into quite a step change for us. Yeah. As far as like the music industry, you know, um, I was talking to my manager today and I asked him a question. I'll ask you the same question. like. Do you think it's going to go back to, you know, I mean, I, well, obviously we don't know, but I think everything's going to be fundamentally changed, especially in the music industry. And, um, you know, it could, and sure, we're, we're embracing Zoom and, you know, live streaming and everything like that. And so, yeah, do you think it's going to go back? And, and if, and if it doesn't, can you keep doing what you're doing? Yeah, it's. I don't think it will go back. I think we are forever changed by this yeah. in some ways in a really, I, I think, sad, you know, um, grounding way, but other ways it's, it's opening us up in, in new ways, you know? Um, so um, my partner right now is a teacher. He's an avid soccer player and he's a huge music fan and um, musician himself. And all three of those things, think about the intersection yeah. of that, right? Music, education, sport, fundamentally changed, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the world, that we live, I work in business, like fundamentally forever changed. And, um, but there's a lot of good in it too. You know, I, uh, we had a conversation on, um, 
Saturday with, uh, it ended up being 14 young people, high school and beginning college from countries as diverse as um, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, to Sao Paulo again, to um, Mexico City and Portland and LA. And to have these kids really who are starting their lives, having this conversation together through this lens. And it, it requires emotional touch, connection, it's, you can't just let it go, right? You really have to curate it and hold people, which is what we try to do at the Liberty Collective. But to, to suddenly now have these, this, this youth like join together in conversation is really a beautiful thing. You know, when it comes to an industry like music, I, I, you know, I feel the restaurant industry, I have yeah. a lot of connections in Portland there. <sighs> these are people's lives, yeah. you know, and yeah. you know, it's not just you as an incredible artist. It's all the people that surround you to make what you do possible i don't even right. can't even imagine the heart that you feel in that this is family for you and um you know they're going to have to reinvent themselves too right so how we do that is i think though could we channel all this um frustration and and rage and um you know sadness into to reinvention right things mm -hmm. have to end before they can start again right. um and as i mentioned i think we were coming into it and then all of a sudden again this this four-pronged attack on people what is that going to mean, right? Um, we have a choice to make. And so how do we find that fire in ourselves to redirect it and, and go to something better? I don't think we can wait for the answer to come or for power to give it to us. We have to yeah. be the power to change it. Mm. And that's what you two are trying to do. I love it, you know? Indeed. So you, um, on your travels, you amassed a wealth of knowledge and experience from the people you spoke with. And you refer, you refer to that as your, your beautiful burden. And you know you, we're looking to drive change. Um, and there's you share with us also there's you know 12 qualities of today's great leaders. How um, are those qualities any different now? Uh, should they be different? Are there any like very uh, modifications we need to think about? Uh, given that we're you know now now you're not seeing someone in a conference room, and I think to, to an extent that levels the playing field because perhaps I'm not intimidated by the person, otherwise the elephant in the room because of their physical presence, like. What are your thoughts on, on, on that part of uh, evolution and change? Oh, Krishna, is, that is sort of the the crux of it all, right? And and it has been now, we, we believe this, it was a huge part of our theory of change um, and, and that, that sort of different view to what leadership could be, but it has now been emphasized and underscored by the democratization that, that Zoom has provided. I mean, we run these sessions and um, when we do them, we expect the leader to be fully participating. And somehow, um, I guess it's not its not rocket science, right? It's the fact that we're all in our environments, which somehow feel a little safer, right? More but also it's yeah. personal because I get to see like, oh, what's behind you? Like, what's in there? Where are you right now? And so there is that personal connection that you have and curiosity, right? But then you feel safe where you are. And um, because of the features of virtual and when you're doing synchronous learning or um, development, you it, it does allow a more even playing field, as you said, it just does. And we have seen that build trust um, and connection in a way. We did a session that was um, eight weeks long, and then we had the opportunity in a social distance way. And that was all over Zoom once a week. Same team, right, that works together every day, has been, you know, quarantined since March. We connect every Friday morning, and we did that all over Zoom fantastic results. And then we got together for a socially distanced sort of celebration of our um, experience together. And it was so cool to see that it wasn't just, um, you know, oh, we had to get through those eight weeks. Those eight weeks 
erupted into this really different level of connection and trust. And I think a part of it was we broke down hierarchy by doing it in this way. So I think it's really, really critical. And then you asked the question, you know, mentioned that we are now focused on these 12 qualities of what we call an evolved leader. And the backdrop to that is this understanding that in business today, um, whatever your business is, right, the, I'll call it masculine qualities, and I don't mean male, um, that are very, you know, weaponized, patriarchal, right? There's a reason and there's there's important parts of History the strength in that that makes yeah. great leadership. But we have way over indexed to a place that that is what dominates. And um, the other qualities, and, and I call them feminine qualities, but they are things like empathy and, you know, listenership, um, buildership, right? Stewardship, generativity. These are qualities that, you know, if you go back a couple thousand years in society, um, even just a thousand, like these were qualities that, that were really important because we were much more tied to nature and to life in a different way. And they have been actively suppressed to the point that they are not only, um, they're not even nice to haves often in business. They are something you have to explain. They're mm -hmm. something that um, are diminished, right? And my belief had been, and then when we went and traveled the world, we heard it. That's where we did our research and it has ended in our curriculum and our development program is all based on these qualities of leadership that people told us that they were not just wanting, but craving to see, right? And how do you redefine power and how it's held? These are the, the qualities that we all can benefit from. And I think in the current state, um, we talked about what fear can do to us. We're going to come out of this, I hope, um, with opportunity to rebuild and change. So these are the qualities I think will help us will help us get there so because these are just um human uh you know yes they're, they're just human period and that's i guess that's what you that's the common line through all of it right right let's be more human in work in the workplace in business um i i you see it in the covid response right and um and again i'm not talking about women but when you look at the feminine qualities of you know angela merkel <laughs> the chancellor of germany or the new zealand prime minister right the northern european countries or the you know, the Taiwan leader who these, these women have led with what they know how to do, which is compassion and, and look at the response, right? It's, right. it's sound business to do mm. this, right? So we not only should, but we, we need to embrace it if we want to thrive and reinvent um, wherever we are landing in this intersection of business and life. And cause it all bleeds today, you know? So and if I might, um, yeah. let's just, let's just say that as a, as a business person, uh, I need to be motivated uh, to, to take on the, the necessary investments and also like um, uh, enlightened change, right? There's a lot of stats out there that say that diversity does better for business. Um, what were some things you can share in, in that area, in that regard? Well, I, I think, you know, before these huge waves of change came in to, to like take hold of all of us in the last few years, um, we already were in a crisis of engagement, right? And, and so, it's not, you know, were we satisfied with the fact that most people were not really inspired by what they were doing or how they were doing it and didn't trust their leaders? Like, that's not good enough. And especially now, right? So um, I, and then when you couple that with the actual um, sound principles backed up by science of, of why these principles help make great teams do better work, um, it's sort of unavoidable when you look at the opportunity. But what it means is 
as leaders like yourselves, you have to give up your own comfort and power, right? You you have to be willing um, to actually share power and, and understand that you're not the person that's always going to have all the answers, right? That's a very different way of leading than we all kind of were raised up in, right? And so it's a bit of defying the norms and reinventing them with trusting people. And trust is a big part and of, of what we do. So I think it's, um, you know, overall, all of us need to make the shift. But especially if I was talking to someone um, who, you know, was leading business um, and, and leading organizations and could be in your community as well, if nothing else, look at the young people that are coming up right now. I mentioned I have an 18 and 20 year old. They are not hmm. going to be patient about this change, right? It is coming and this is, whether it's your workforce or it's the people you're serving in your work, you better start to, to embrace these different ways of thinking um, because people have options now, especially what, you know, remote work and remote learning, right? And these kids that are they're way beyond digitally native. Like they, that this is how they breathe and live and they are gonna bring the human right squarely into all of this. So if we don't, we'll be left behind, right? And 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 let's also break down the we, you, us, it's us. It's it's humanity and how do we come together to, to drive that change? So um, it's not only the right thing to do um, wherever your moral compass is, but it's also an important thing to do to survive. <laughs> this is This is about how we thrive to move forward mm. and that Reminds comes with reinvention part of part of me is worried about the this generation taking those kind of leadership roles but but you're you're feeling very positive about it so yeah, yeah. Like, what's the juxtaposition that to then from them being so sheltered to excelling now online i guess i mean it's yeah i i uh whether it's my own daughters or it's traveling and, and I mentor a lot of young people too in the work I do, I am so heartened by it because what I think has happened is, yes, for sure, I have the same, have the same concerns that you do in times of like, are you even gonna be able to socialize and, right. and, and know those, understand how to do that because you're all, but what I'm seeing is that um, they are so adept at that, that they transcend it. And part of it is also a rejection of over filtering and all the things, you know, I think that this next, your son, my daughters, um, especially my youngest, are kind of coming up with this idea of um, it doesn't have to be perfect. In fact, let's not like, you know, the uglier the, the selfie, the better, right? Like, let's be real in this. And so I think they're taking the power of digital connection and using it on their terms. And, um, you know, again, I saw it this summer in Portland. Wow, the young people getting together and not just, uh, when it was the cool thing to do just to get out of the house during COVID all through the summer, night after night after night of standing out there and demanding change for racial justice. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, here we are back to like when, when, um, you know, my, my dad was in this, in the civil rights movement, like mm. we, we sort of like, whoa, do we have to look any further, you know? Yeah. And, you know, they use digital to organize themselves, but they, they, the heart is in everything that they're doing and what they're asking for. And so that's what, what I think um, we can look to, to say there's so much possibility um, of, of what could shift. And, and I think, um, you know, yeah, we're going to probably some things are going to atrophy because we're not using them enough, but other things are going to be blossoming in a way we can't even imagine, including ourselves, right? We can't count ourselves out of this. We have to be, you know, arm in arm with them as we drive change. Um, it has to be multi-generational. That's another big part of my belief system. Um, when you talk about intersectional, you know, ageism is real. We can't just, you know, leave people behind because they're 
no, let's come together um, and let's let's drive the change that we need to make. One of the topics that we have here on the side is perhaps share, share a story with us about muscle and joy. Um, I know that your your dad obviously is very um, you know critical to who you are. You know, yeah. Um, sh- share with us, I guess, a story of what he shared with you. Well, my dad was an amazing man. He was super uh, alternative in his thinking and the way he showed up in life. Um, he didn't provide a lot financially or fiscally. You know, he wasn't stable in that way. He was a starving artist his whole life. But he believed in what was right and good about people. And he taught us, he was wealthy beyond means in terms of that piece and and invested in his three daughters in that way to, to create I would say fine human beings, right? This is my dad. We called him um, Papa Do. He was a grandfather of many. And and I mentioned 2017 was a tough year for me. I lost him in that spring. And he said, we were, the three of us were were so blessed to be able to be at his side um, in hospice at his little island home with a crackling fire and music. He loved blues. He loved blues. And we had that going. And we were there with him, you know, holding his hand every single day. We'd take shifts. Um, if you've either of you have lived through someone um, in hospice or or dying, it's um, it's it's a blessing, but it's it's very it's really it's so heavy, especially when mm. it's your father. And so we were in the middle of of that, and there were some just moments of glory in it. And one of them was, um, and I didn't realize it until later when I made the change that I made is he grabbed my hand when he was not lucid really and and the last words he said to me individually were he said where'd you get all that muscle and joy mm. to me mm. and i was i mean i posted about it the day he died because i was like from you dad it's from you but what i realized when i started doing this work and then when you know that beautiful burden of sort of stepping back and saying i have to honor all these stories that have been gifted to me what it has helped me make sense of what the change that needs to happen. Because when you think about something like muscle, there is, it's strong, but muscle is soft, right? Um, it atrophies if you don't use it, right? It, it, um, it, you can, you can actually drive incredible change. But again, that idea of it's not, um, bones and arrows, it's soft. And so that idea of muscle as being sort of an analogy for, for great leadership and the practice of it. And then when you talk about joy, Honestly, that's the on-ramp to empathy. Um, and so how do you couple those two things to start to drive change? And the fact that my dad saw that in me, right? Not only as a, a leader, he was real proud of, didn't quite understand all the stuff I did, but he was really proud of it. But also as a mom, um, you know, as somebody that was very active in my community, um, helping people and driving change, he, he just summed it up in two words. So muscle and joy has sort of become my kind of mantra for how um, I try to bring other people into this work because who wouldn't want more of that? But muscle has to be defined in the right way, right? Um, Otherwise it becomes blunt um, and it becomes strength for just strengths purposes. Um, And then joy is something that, you know, many of our qualities like holistic, or you could say, what does that have a place in business, right? Where's, why does love belong in business? Oh my gosh, right in the middle, right? Because it is that, that connection strictly and straight line to empathy. And that's what we need much more of. That's the big sort of, in fact, it was the number one thing. We had both qualitative but quantitative um, results of all this primary research we did. The number one word we heard over and over and over, it didn't matter, men, women, what other 
whatever country of the world or city, it was empathy mm. that people wanted to and expected to see more of in themselves and others. So that was pretty cool. Hmm. Yeah, that that's that's everything. I mean, that's just the driver for every conversation right now with where our country is at. You know, the lack of that coming from our president and uh, and I mean, not to get too political, but like you know, their whole the, their their whole party is it, it just. Yeah, it's like right down the middle. It's like, what do they lack most of? And there's been so many terrible examples that have happened in the last bunch, a couple bunch of years, um, and they're all kind of to me like lack of empathy. And and it's like, it's it's if if empathy was the center of the, if empathy was the first thing that that leaders were embracing, right? Then then um, what would follow after that? So much, so much. The decision-making process would completely change, right? Exactly. Right. Totally. There, there. Um, I don't know if you've read, but there's a book called um, "The Book of Joy," that the Dalai Lama and um, the Archbishop, Archbishop Desmond Tutu wrote together, and mm. they had somebody working with them. And it's all about joy. Exactly what you're talking about. Um, and those two world leaders. It's we've been, you know, we've been studying joy as a business principle, and. Um, Two quick little things. So um, uh, the Dalai Lama actually worked with somebody to study the science, right, of, of happiness and joy. And what they found is um, there was four factors that they, through science, they know have a massive impact on your level of happiness and content. Um, it's outlook. Do you have, can you have a positive outlook? It's um, mm -hmm. are you resilient? Um, can you focus? And then the fourth one is compassion. Mm. So compassion is which is empathy, right? Is, is understanding somebody else's perspective and taking yourself out of it is so pivotal. And it's what you're saying. We have been, you know, sorely missing. And then, um, Desmond Tutu actually, um, follows a really important principle in his, um, culture and his, um, life, which is Ubuntu. And it is, um, this idea of my happiness is rooted in yours, right? Like we are connected. Um, and, and these principles, um, and, and a big part of what we do is bring these thought leaders that, that again, you think, do they belong in this work, right? Development work and leadership work. Absolutely, right? Why are we looking so hard internally? Let's look outside. You know, we study sci-fi writers and poets and um, people that, you know, have, you know, psychologists and, and, you know, people that study mythology to try to create inspiring ways for people to open up to change. Um, and that's an example. But when you bring it down to the practical factors, it's good common sense, right? It comes back to what you said, Christian, it's just being a just good human, right? Like that's mm -hmm. what we should be striving for. What, what was the word that Desmond Tutu used? Ubuntu is Ubuntu. what he, let me see, I have Ubuntu. some, yeah, it is, um, my humanity is inextric inextricably bound up in yours. We belong in a bundle of life. Mm. Right. And, and a lot of what I'm trying to sort of try to drive shifts around is Western culture. Right. Like right. a lot of Eastern cultures um, or indigenous cultures understand this. Right. Like it's that multi-generational thinking. I mean, generativity is a big um, uh, quality of leadership that we're, we're studying and we offer. And this idea of, of stewardship, which is really an old idea, it was it was and it kind of, you know, you get a little bit of hives when you think about the um that meaning of it, which was basically tending land for or or caring for a kingdom for a king that was underage. That's kind mm. of what stewardship was. But if you boil it back to the really origins of it, it was about 
taking care of the land, taking care for others. That's servant leadership, right? And so we have to take our egos out of it. We've gotten so, we're so far indexed in that short-term quarterly earnings, what's my legacy gonna be, that we can't, we're so afraid to pull the curtain back. And if we can change, and that's, you know, seven generational thinking that Native Americans have, right? Like thinking about not just, you know, our kids, but their kids, kids, kids. Like what if we treat a business that way, let alone our world and our climate, right? (laughs) But that kind of thinking is revolutionary. Patagonia is an example of a company that, that drives business that way. If you think about like the word, the the words, the rat race, right? That, so that seems like our whole country, right? And not just maybe just to your point, like Western civilization, or just certainly corporate America. It's all, right? It's all like a a race to the well, a race to the top, or a race to the bottom. How you look at it? It's it's so deeply ingrained, ingrained, and and I imagine it's so deeply ingrained in all corporations and everything like that, like. And just the way of like, yeah, you're trying to one up. You're trying to, and our country's built on like stepping on culture, step, you know, stepping on culture, stealing people's land, and they're stealing their time and their work and everything. It's like, well, you've you've got a, you're you're trying to flip the script. It's it's right. it's daunting. I mean, how so? How do you how do you flip the script on someone that's built their whole career on on that? stepping on I other think, people to the top. Yeah, it's fundamental. I think you have to bring it back to, and, and it's really important. I'm not naive to that, right? <laughs> Entire structures and systems are built on this. It's power and how it's held. But what we need to think about is growth mindset is what, I mean, I worked for a company that it was all based on stock price and every quarter. And, you know, that's why churning product out, keeping hot, right? Like it's so important. But what if growth mindset meant something more than bottom line, right? It's, it's how do we grow people? How do we grow our environment? How do we grow thinking, right? And, and this shouldn't be a stretch. It's, a, it's, it's innovation, right? But, you know, there's so much vulnerability and risk in innovating. But we, I think we've gotten so short term to your point, Garrett, like we just, it's all about the next thing and the next thing. I mean, one of the, I think back to some of the amazing stories I heard on the road and so many of them were so like just beautiful and cool to hear about, you know, what great leaders that were in their life. But there were some heartbreaking things too. I mean, this one woman told me it was in Paris and she said, um, I I, you know, I want to develop as a person. I want to give back and I want to learn. I do that between like 11 and midnight in my bed watching TED Talks. And I was just like, this is what we've come to, right? We grow people because many companies have just divested from the investment that's necessary, whether it's time or money. Um, And because of the short-term thinking, right? There's just not, we're so, we're just stifled for time. And and, and yet there's so much richness out there for us to, to focus on. And I thought, that was one of the moments where I was like, this is so sad. Like we are, we are leaving it to our people that work for us to try to drive some kind of change and they're doing it on their own terms. They don't even know where to, to focus. It feels very futile. And in fact, it could become a much more. And here's the cool thing. When you, you give up some of your own power and you give space for that, it's amazing what can happen. Suddenly everything is in flow. Suddenly things work better, trust grows. And so it is that abundance mindset that you have to believe in. And you have to be willing to take some short-term losses, I think, um, and, and hold people to that to be able to drive that kind of change. Um, and you have to insist on it as a leader, but not easy, it's not easy. 
All right, so we have a, a fun little thing here. I've got uh, a series of questions. They're kind of just one or the other binary answers. Okay. Uh, a couple of them I know the answer to because you already answered today. <laughs> All, right, All right, here, here we, we go. Here we go. Baby's got sauce or cold beverage? Baby's got sauce. <laughs> Tea or coffee? Coffee. Love to win or hate to lose? Neither. Neither. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, mountains or beach? Mountains. Road trip or flights? Uh, flight to a road trip. Okay. Ducks or beavers? <laughs> Husky. Husky. All right, cool. Uh, and you answered this one already. Nike or Nike? Oh, Nike. <laughs> no, is that is that the intended pronunciation? It is, but you know what? It means a lot of things to a lot of people. So wherever you find your heart in it, that's that's all right. Very cool. Awesome. Uh, I guess also, um, are there any last things you want to share? Any uh, things that you're working on that you want to um, um, plug? I, you know, I'm just so excited about what's ahead of us. I think the biggest thing for me is welcoming the world into this work and the fact that you can sit in your you know, we had a woman in, from Boston connected with, you know, uh, another woman from um, Portland and um, talking about racial justice and, and being a, you know, a leader in the anti-racist space. Like, I mean, and that's not me doing that work. It's just facilitating the connection. Like the power of connection today, um, the world feels really big and um, unforgiving right now, but we can actually bring a lot of rich closeness to it. Um, and so that's the piece I'm excited about. So we have all kinds of opportunities um, through these learning modules we're putting out there. Um, and I would just say, you know, I, we're, we're pretty um, particular about how we, who we work with because it's about people who are ready to drive change. Um, and if you're ready for it, it's here. Um, and I think it's all about like, let's just get after it. Let's do it. Like, let's, let's not, um, let's not hold ourselves back through fear or through, um, trepidation. I mean, I understand those are real things that are very leveling for people right now. Um, it's it's a real position of privilege to say, um, move past it, but we can do that and we need to. So that's the piece I'm, I'm very excited about. Carrie, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Um, I yeah. The work you're doing. Garrett, thank you as well. Thank you guys so much. It was That was amazing, Carrie. Thank you. This is great. I love this kind of conversation where you can take different worlds and put them together. It's really, really great. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for, thanks for being a part of it. <laughs> okay. Be well. Be safe. You too. Thank you. Safe travels up north. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Today's episode was brought to you by Workado. Workado is the operating system for today's fast-moving business. Recognized as a leader by Gartner and Forrester, it is the only intelligent automation platform that enables both businesses and IT to integrate their apps and automate even the most mission-critical workflows without compromising security and governance. Workado is trusted by over 6,000 of the world's top brands and fastest-growing innovators. For more information, visit Workado.com. Victor Vargas is our art director and engineer, and I'm Katie Thomas. I produce the Digital Transformationists podcast for Precipio Consulting. Precipio Consulting is a full-service digital transformation consulting firm helping businesses large and small build and scale for what's next with the Atlassian product suite and best-in-class frameworks. More about Precipio Consulting at precipio.com slash podcast. 